What's up, everyone? This is Lito, and you're listening to Crypto Testers, a podcast keeping you informed about all the coolest projects in the crypto space. In this episode, I talk to Sam Bankman-Fried from FTX. Sam is one of the most well-known figures in the crypto space, a notorious trader moving billions of dollars on a daily basis. He is so busy that he only sleeps for a couple of hours a night on a beanbag next to his desk. He recently got a lot of mainstream media attention for donating $10 million to the Joe Biden campaign before he got elected for president. In the episode, we talk about how FTX was able to grow so fast, the exchange business in general, future plans for FTX, and we also talk about Solana, which Sam has been dedicating a lot of his time to. Before we jump into the show, I want to thank my sponsor Bitwalla. Bitwalla is Germany's crypto flagship company. They offer users a full-fledged bank account with integrated crypto wallets and crypto trading features. With Bitwalla, you can do your traditional finance and your crypto finance all in one app. Within minutes, you can convert your crypto into euros and then spend it with your Bitwalla debit card. Or invest your Bitcoin in the app and earn interest on it. If that's not enough, you can get 20 euros if you sign up using our special crypto testers link, which I posted in the show notes. Hey, Sam. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an incredible honor to have you here in the podcast today. I think it's safe to say that you're one of the busiest people in the crypto space. You run an exchange that seems like it's growing at light speed. You run an investment fund called Alameda Research, and you're also heavily involved in the Solana ecosystem, which is a blockchain with a lot of momentum. So I have a ton of questions for you, but let's start at the beginning. How did you start FTX and what led you to go into this exchange business at a time when it seemed like it was already dominated by big players? Yeah, I mean, it's a really central part of the, the crypto ecosystem because, you know, exchanges aren't just the, the matching engines there. You know, there are a lot of different things. There's the matching engines, the front end, the GUI, the mobile app, you know, everything other than the buyer end of the seller in a transaction. And so, so on the one hand, they're really important parts of the ecosystem. But on the other hand, you know, despite the fact that there were already a number of big players, especially on the derivative side, you know, I basically felt like they, weren't doing a great job of building out derivatives products. I think it's tricky to do. And I think that, that the space wasn't really there. Gotcha. So you grew over the derivatives side. So you, you didn't attack a player like Coinbase, which was really strong in spot trading, but identified one specific subsector of the crypto industry and decided to tackle that one. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, you know, we did eventually add spot trading, but I, I think the way that, that we saw it was that, you know, there's just less room to innovate on spot relative to derivatives. And so even though I think we've done a good job with spot, it's there's just going to be less that separates your product from the other products often, which means that, you know, especially when you're going up against huge brands and user bases and, and regulatory, you know, moats and, and built out relationships it can be pretty daunting to try and overtake that and you know often feel like you don't really have the firepower for it mm -hmm. and looking back on the past two years 
what were the reasons for FTX fast growth? What was like the secret sauce? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there wasn't really that much of a secret sauce as the truth. Um, you know, I think that, you know, a lot of this was just putting together a lot of common sense decisions, a lot of small iterations, and, you know, just trying to get better each day, trying to respond to client feedback, keep rolling out new things and keep pushing the space forward. And I think that, you know, even though we started with, with you know, no users, obviously, and had to build that up from scratch, you know, we were able to put that together piece by piece as long as we presented a really compelling case to the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And how many people were you at the time when you started this? Oh, you know, I think it's like six people when we started. And, you know, that, that didn't last that long. I and mean, we, we had to hire pretty quickly. But we're around 100 right now, which is a fair number of people. It you know, feels like a lot to me, but it's tiny compared to the, the more numerous companies. Yeah. Would you say that crypto exchanges have a strong moat today, given that you guys grew to one of the largest exchanges in two years at a time when, you know, there were already uh, large exchanges established? I do think the mode is stronger today than it was back then. I think that, you know, despite the fact that there were big exchanges that were live, there were a lot of people in the space who were actually pretty interested in checking out new venues. And there was a lot of excitement over new exchanges coming out and a lot of talk about them. And that's a lot less true now. It's been a while since, you know, the crypto ecosystem has gotten really excited about a centralized exchange opening up. And so I do think that, you know, it's not, The moats are all soft, but you know I do think that they've become a little bit firmer over time. Mm -hmm. Do you see any interesting crypto exchanges launching at the moment or recently? Not really. I mean, and that's not to say that you know any exchange that launches now is bad. Particularly, it's not necessarily that, but it's I don't see any that are you know really looking like they're going to get much traction. You know, in fact, if you look at at exchanges by volume. Almost none of them, you know, were founded after FTX was. And if you look at, you know, I guess we we started up in spring of of 2019, and you have to go, boy. I mean, I don't even think our volume monitor has a single exchange that was founded after FTX on it. Yeah, so you really came at the last possible point in time to get on board into this business and also pulled off a near perfect execution, I would say. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I'd like to think that we're part of the reason that it's getting a little bit late to do it because we sort of closed off some of the gaps that existed. But I also just think that, that yeah, you know, people have moved on and, and, and you know, are focusing on other things now than new exchanges. Mm -hmm. Do you think there might be still room for exchanges in regions that the big exchanges are not targeting? I'm thinking about you know, some countries in Southeast Asia or India or, or Africa, is FTX going after these regions? Yeah, I think that's actually a reasonable point. And I do think that if you're going to build out a really well-targeted exchange in a country, you can, you can give it a reasonable shot at it. And there's going to be less competition. You're also just going to be able to get more differentiation, you know, locally because you'll be able to to really focus on getting great fiat on-ramps and off-ramps there, having great you know, translations, obviously, community support, thinking hard about the, the products that are going to be specifically wanted there. And, and so I do think that like that gives you 
a little bit more of an advantage. And the other thing is that you know exactly which users to be targeting and to be reaching out to, which are, you know, reach, you know, users in that country, you know, as opposed to just sort of having to disperse your message to the whole ecosystem and, and hope some people like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way I see FTX position in the market today is, and I think you tweeted about this in a similar way. So FTX is this very professional trader-oriented exchange. You offer a ton of you know, derivatives, super low fees and advanced features, but also quite a confusing user interface and user experience, at least for you know, newcomers to the space. And Coinbase is almost the complete opposite. It has a ton of retail users. It also charges up to 20 times higher fees. But they made an excellent job in offering a ton of local fiat on-ramps and also a slick app experience. And now they make a lot of revenue, as we all know from you know, their, their recent IPO. Obviously, this retail flow is a juicy piece of the crypto market. And it's also evident that FTX wants a part of it. So you recently acquired the portfolio tracking app Blockfolio, which millions of users check every day to just track their portfolio. Can you tell us about your plans with Blockfolio? Yeah, totally. And, and, and you know, I think that there's a lot of truth that in that we have come from a position of having a less retail heavy user base. Although I think it's not, you know, over time I've come to to decide that retail isn't quite the right word for it because there are a number of retail users on FTX. Mm-hmm. The thing that I think most differentiates it is, you know, FTX's core user base has been people who are highly engaged in crypto, people who spend a lot of time thinking about crypto and, and you know, often a decent amount of time trading crypto. Whether they're, they're retail, whether they're day traders, whether they're institutions, they're somewhat sophisticated. And so I think that we definitely started out sort of almost explicitly just targeting that over time, we've been trying to do things to build out a better product for new users in the ecosystem. And I think that, yeah, the Blockfolio acquisition is a big piece of it. It has a ton of users, which we're pretty excited to, you know, to be reaching out to. And it's kind of all of the big piece of it. And it also gives us a chance to build out a new product and, and in particular, a new, a new, you know, UI format, which is particularly targeted at sort of low engagement, you know, new retail users. And I think that that's been another kind of advantage of it is it gives us a place to have differentiation on the product side and on the, the user side so that people can find the place that works best for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I agree that also retail users use FTX. I think that's one of the cool things about crypto is that everyone throughout the journey becomes also more kind of financially literate and tries out new things and also more cost sensitive. So I think I'm the perfect example. I started on Coinbase, you know, four years or five years ago when I bought my first crypto. But today I'm on FTX because you just learn a bunch of things and become more confident using other type of interfaces. And you also want to trade with leverage and that's not possible on Coinbase. Yeah, with Blockfolio. So what are your plans there? The step one was to offer crypto trading, right? I think that's rolled yep. out and it's a beautiful experience. It's, you know, one swipe and you bought some crypto with a credit card. You also receive a token for free with every purchase, which is quite of a cool feature, <laughs> yep. very, very gamified. But what else have you planned? Yeah, there are a ton of things. You know, one thing that we've done recently is, you know, we've rolled out swipe 
cards that you can tie to your portfolio account in the US. And we're working on that internationally. And we're, we're looking at a lot of other features. You could probably guess a lot of them. We're looking at yield. We're looking at other products that we can put on there. You know, we have stocks on there internationally and we're looking at those in the US and we're looking at NFTs. We're looking at just whatever we think would make it, you know, be, be really cool for the users of it. And we're also constantly building out the fiat on ramps of it. Mm-hmm. That's obviously a really important piece of it. And there's sort of this collect them all, you know, thing with those where each country has its own ways that people like getting funds in and out. And you often have to kind of separately go one by one and get connected to banks or payment service providers or whatever it is that gives a good experience. And so we've been sort of grinding away at those as well. Mm-hmm. Will the fees be similar to FTX in the long run, or do you plan to make it a bit more costly since it's also a bit more user-friendly? You know, I think I, I would certainly guess, you know, it'll be somewhere between FTX and Coinbase certainly don't imagine getting to where Coinbase is. It's also going to be depending on the liquidity in the product to some extent, where there are just some products where you get tighter spreads than you do on other ones. And so that's definitely something though where there's there's a lot of room to mm-hmm. to modify that over time based on feedback. Yeah. And about the Swipe credit card, I found that interesting because Swipe is a company owned by Binance, right? Why did you choose Swipe over other white label debit card issuers? Yeah, we talked to them basically they're just great to work with. And we're excited to work with them. They were growing and, you know, they've been adding more and more products and features over time, which we like. They've been really communicative and really flexible to work with. And, you know, in the end, in the same way that, you know, our users care about user experience, we care about user experience too for whatever we're integrating. Because I think the biggest thing is that, you know, the last place we want to be in is a place where we have a product and our users want to use that product and they're frustrated at it. And the reason they're frustrated is that we're not able to get a straight answer from the company itself on how it works, or it's, it's throwing up error messages we can't understand and not being communicative or not letting us be flexible in the settings we offer to our users. And, you know, we end up kind of passing that messiness off to the, have, you know, having to pass the messiness off to the user. And so I think the biggest things that we're thinking about is, yeah, like, how can we make sure that we can give a great, great experience mm-hmm. for our users? And some of that has to be that, We really like working with the company. Cool. Yeah, I think crypto credit cards are such a great feature. I mean, today I'm living on them. I don't have any money in my checking account almost. And I'm just, you know, as I have to spend the money in the real world, I'm just cashing out a little bit of crypto, but just as much as I need. So really cool. What sort of features will the Blockfolio card um, have once it's launched? Yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, we're, we're starting just simple, making sure, you know, that the rollout goes well and that, you know, the core functionality works and people are happy with it. But over time, there are going to be rewards. One, I think, nice thing about it, which is super cool and flexible, is that you can spend anything. You don't have to worry about which assets you have in your account or, or are they in the right sub-account or are they, you know, it just, you know, we, we, we can handle that on our side and convert to whatever is needed there. And so super flexible on what you use for it. And, you know, you can, whether it's Bitcoin dollars or anything else, the nice thing is you don't have to convert preemptively to something which isn't what you want to hold, mm-hmm. you know, in case you want it to have a charge. But other than that, we're going to keep experimenting and entering and, you know, people have feedback or thoughts on what they think a cool integration would be with it. We're super happy to work on that. Nice. 
Another question related to that, but not only to the crypto card, is the FTT token, which we're going to talk more later. Do you see it as being integrated in Blockfolio or do you see the two products, FTX and, well, Blockfolio separated in that regard? Yeah, that's a really good question. We've gone back and forth about this. And, you know, there is a contribution of Blockfolio to the FTT, you know, buy and burn. And, and, you know, I think we're trying to think about what the right user loyalty scheme is for Blockfolio. And, you know, it might be different in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. as well. But I would not be at all surprised to see, and you can obviously, you can buy it outside the U.S. on Blockfolio. And I wouldn't be shocked to see it playing a bigger role there over time. Cool. Yeah, that will give FTT a ton of utility. Another thing in your effort to go more heavily into retail is the marketing efforts that you're doing. You have done a a couple of aggressive or bold moves with getting the naming rights for the Miami Heat Stadium. You recently sponsored a very famous NFL player that I didn't know because I'm Europe-based and I don't follow NFL. But uh, you also (laughs) sponsored the Dave Portnoy show. So it's it's nice to see a crypto company, you know, going or trying to push into the mainstream. I think crypto companies have been on the margin for way too long and crypto exchanges have money, you know, they sit on cash. So um, very cool to see. Are you involved in those sponsorship deals per- personally? Like, do you go yeah. to the NFL player yourself and talk to him or you know, is that done by other people? So, I mean, I'm, you know, there, there are a few people on, on our staff who have been super involved in making this happen, which has been great. I haven't been the one who's been, you know, putting in the most work for it, but I've been doing a, been doing a lot of planning, a lot of thinking about what the right thing to, to, you know, to do is there, thinking about what on a high level target. And then I will get involved in the, you know, actual putting together of when it's helpful. And often it will be valuable for me to have a conversation with the people about it. And so, you know, I've been off and on involved in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's also nice to see. I saw that Coinbase, they recently did their first sponsorship deal and they sponsored a e-gaming company. And I think we're going to see more companies from the crypto space also closing new types of sponsorships that traditional companies weren't really partnering with. But since, you know, the crypto space is a bit more geeky and different, they're more interested in those. Is FTX also interested in e-gaming? Yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if Coinbase were the only company to end up sponsoring an e-gaming team. Amazing. Okay. Yeah, and last topic in this retail effort is maps.me, right? You you bought this travel app, which also has millions of users, but nothing to do with crypto. It's an app that I believe users use when they're traveling. They can navigate without internet connection. So it's it's quite handy. You bought it. What are your plans with this company? Yeah, so there's a, a, you know, a super cool team that's been working on integrating in payments and investments and trading, backending into, into Solana and the Serum ecosystem to allow a decentralized mobile travel-friendly financial experience. And I think this is another case where like, there was a huge user base and a user base that has, you know, demand for, I mean, many user bases do, you know, for, for financial transactions and uh, particularly cross-border payments and where the, the app wasn't able to provide those. And so users are sort of forced to go through a lot of hoops to do it is, is a much less unified experience and, you know, an opportunity to seamlessly integrate those features 
into the experience for users. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned payments as, as one of the use cases. So today in the app, when users have to book you know, a hotel or something, they have to go through intermediaries. I think it's not immediately, it's not processed by the app itself. And that's right. You think there's a way to make these payments cheaper and remove some of the intermediaries by introducing a crypto wallet and settling these payments on crypto rails, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But wouldn't merchants like the, the travel agents and merchants need to be connected to these crypto rails? in order to accept, for example, stable coins like USDC? So, you know, one thing they can do is connect them, which is awesome, but there will be fiat to crypto rails built into the app as well for the cases, you know, that right now there's sort of many cases where at the end merchants don't accept crypto. And I think the goal is to build out, you know, uh, and, and I think we're looking at similar things with Blockfolio and with FTX, where now you have to have fiat connections with everything because most places won't take crypto. And that is what it is. And it's the right thing too. But if, if at the same time you can start adding crypto support anywhere you can, mm -hmm. that solves one half of the equation. And in order to get crypto payments, you need both the payer and the payee to be on the same page about it. And so, you know, if we can get one step of that done, then that makes it that much easier for merchants to start accepting crypto payments because now there are more people who would pay with them if they did exist. Gotcha. And then I guess the next step You know, the users have a wallet and they have some funds in that wallet. Like you mentioned, the next step would be to offer some DeFi features such as high yields yep. and, and maybe other things. Have you already decided which DeFi protocols you're going to integrate for this particular feature? Yeah, so, you know, it can be based on the Ceram ecosystem. There's a protocol called Oxygen, which is being built out, which is going to be, you know, a lot of the core of this. But the, the cool thing about DeFi is that you don't just have to go with one integration. You know, because of composability, you can have an app that, that, that has the ability to integrate with anything on the same chain. And so I think that, like, you know, the goal is to, you know, is to have that flexibility. And, you know, over time to integrate with either directly or indirectly with any, uh, you know, any sort of the, the important cool apps in the ecosystem that, that people want. Yeah, that's true. And how far Is this into the making? I think there's an alpha out. I think it might be a limited release right now that people are testing. So, you know, I think there should be something going live to the public in, in not too long. Yeah. And how is the MAPS team viewing this whole crypto thing? I mean, they had nothing to do with crypto before. Now they've become acquired by this crazy crypto exchange. I don't know if it was a, probably it wasn't a house takeover, but are they excited about this? Are they knowledgeable? How's this sort of partnership yeah, working? So Because I believe it's one of the first of this kind, right? Yeah. So the team that's actually natively working on it does know a ton about crypto and has, has a lot of great developers and was involved in this whole process and involved in in you know acquiring the company and the plan to build it into a, a crypto ecosystem. Okay. How do you manage all these acquired companies that you have because they're starting to add up and you're a small company, more or less with 100 employees? How do you operate? Like, Do you all sit together in one headquarter or do you let them just do what they did before and just have like weekly calls? How can we imagine this with Blockfolio and Maps.me, for example? Yeah. So there's, there's, you know, there's a spectrum and, and, you know, the answer is different in different cases. As much as possible, I'd love to have the existing teams working on the projects because that just expands the total 
firepower. And, and that's just really key here. You know, there's a limit to what I can do alone. And yet that, that's really important for being able to, to build out capacity here. But, you know, we will in some of the cases put in a lot of work to help build out the, the products and the ecosystems. And we'll try to integrate with the teams when it makes sense, especially when it's a full acquisition, because, you know, often we can be strong together and basically both, you know, both share whichever, kind of whichever parts fit, fit each of us best. But it, it definitely puts strain to have too many things going on. And, you know, we've been growing somewhat quickly as a company. We're going to need to keep growing and we're going to need to keep finding ways to scale things, things up. And I think that definitely when we think about some of the things we'd love to do, one of the biggest things that we're thinking is, you know, not even how much money will this cost, but how much time will this cost? You know, how many people will this cost? And will we be able to give this the attention that it really deserves? And of course, you can always hire new people for it. And there are advantages to that, but there are also disadvantages because, you know, the last thing you want to do is, is go make a big wave and then do a really shitty job of executing. And, and so, you know, that only works if you really like the, the people that you're hiring for and, and if you're going to be able to coordinate well with them. Yeah. Do you, how is the hiring process for FTX? Do you assess every candidate yourself in the final interview or have you grown past that stage? I've grown past that stage. You know, I think with a number of them, I try and have a conversation myself with them. I think it, it can be pretty helpful, but you know, I, I, I can't talk to everyone and I certainly am not doing, you know, most of the interviewing and, and, you know, there, there's sort of more and more people internally who are involved in, 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 you know, reaching out to, mm -hmm. to people and having most of the conversations. Yeah. And are you hiring mostly in Hong Kong where your headquarter is? Or yeah, also I know that you also have an office in the US. How how is that spread today? Yeah, so it depends on what we're hiring for, among other things. But you know, we we are hiring in a few places. We're opening up more and more offices and becoming more spread out, more centralized and trying to figure out long term where the right places to have people are. We have some people working remotely as well. So it, it's a little bit of a, of a mix story, mm -hmm. all things considered. Although, you know, we do think that flexibility on that is super valuable. And so it is really nice when a candidate is able to move around because it makes it a lot easier for them to coordinate with people. Yeah, totally. And yeah, part of the beauty of crypto is that it's so global as a movement and you can tap into the yeah, global job market. Yeah. yeah. Another topic that I would like to discuss is uh, yeah, Solana. You've mentioned it already before as being the protocol that you're going to integrate in, in Maps.me. You've become quite active in the ecosystem. You're an advisor of Project Serum and also recently adding a lot of Solana-based projects on FTX. And, yep. you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of FTX. I, you know, use it on a daily basis as my default exchange. But I'm also a huge Ethereum fan, and I'm also a fan of Solana. But as a as an Ethereum enthusiast, I'm wondering what your view is on the Ethereum ecosystem today, and do you plan to support it in a very concentrated way? Because in the end, you know, you're just a company; you have a limited amount of resources, and you cannot spread your efforts everywhere equally. So, for example, if you think about layer two on ramps, right? Like soon the Ethereum ecosystem will scale and there will be different networks and, you know, it will be important for exchanges to, to support these. But yeah, recently there is a lot going on in the direction of Solana. So how do you look at this? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, I don't consider myself super ideological, 
when it comes to, to different blockchains or projects, you know, I think the biggest things I'm thinking about are what's going to give the best long-term experience for the, you know, for the crypto ecosystem, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that, that includes a lot of factors. It includes speed, it includes cost, it includes growth, it includes scalability, it includes decentralization and, and everything else. And so it's not just one piece of, of that. And the biggest things that I think, you know, I'm thinking about are just where is the demand and what's the product that can do a great job of serving that demand. And, you know, I think that right now there's been a huge amount of demand for scalable blockchains because DeFi has just been growing a lot and been growing enough that Ethereum right now has had trouble meeting that demand. And, and the lack of scaling over time of it means that that's just going to get, you know, to become a bigger and bigger problem. DeFi grows. And so, you know, right now, I think that there's a lot of things that are great on, on Ethereum. And obviously, FTX is listed deep and, and a ton of ERC20 tokens, but I think there needs to be growth through more scaling means. And right now, I think, you know, Solana's probably the one I'm most excited about. And there are some other, you know, cool layer ones that have come out. I, I think that, you know, as for what the sort of long-term vision is, I think the answer is, well, it depends, you know, it depends on what products come out. And I think that if, you know, great Ethereum layer twos come out that give, you know, a great experience to users and, are able to scale up to the demand that people have, then be super excited to integrate those into, you know, FTX mm-hmm. and other things because that's what's going to give the good experience for users. And I think that, you know, to the extent that they're clunky, I, I think that that's going to be a problem. And so, you know, I think really my answer is, I don't know, but, you know, let's see the process as they come out. And, you know, my goal is just to use what the best products, whatever they are. Okay. Yeah. So you're saying you are constantly assessing the ecosystem and you just want to bet on the, the right ecosystem that in the long term will make DeFi mainstream and, and offer yeah, the best user experience. And so at yep. the moment, you're, you're focusing on Solana a bit more than on Ethereum. Yep. Yep. Because, you know, I think like right now, basically, it's pretty tough for mainstream users to use Ethereum given the, you know, the gas fees and given the limited throughput. And, it, and it's difficult for developers to build complex applications on it given those constraints as well, because it just means that you're not going to be able to build something that requires huge throughput. But, you know, if and when that changes, then that could totally change the story. Mm-hmm. Do you see also a conflict of interest when an exchange is backing one chain in particular? I'm asking this question in general, or more particularly looking at, you know, Binance Smart Chain, where the link with Binance is a lot more obvious. And it seems like since BSC launched, it almost, you know, CZ has started to see Ethereum as a competitor and is more public about it and sort of bashing on, on the Ethereum ecosystem. And it's, it is a bit problematic because exchanges own the on-ramps and have a huge influence on where the money flows to. And so I would like to hear your position if, if yeah. you think, because, you know, exchanges also have a financial incentive to support a young chain from the very get-go and make it big, so to say. And this speaks to the disadvantage of, you know, a completely decentralized chain like Ethereum that, that you know, where the token supply is already handed out to millions and millions of users and where an exchange doesn't have a huge upside by supporting it. At least that's how it looks sometimes on the outside. Yeah, totally hearing you. I think the big thing that I would say there is that, you know, what this depends a lot on is how decentralized is the chain that's being built. If they're building a, a totally decentralized, cool new blockchain, then 
I think that can be great. And I think it can really help build out the ecosystem. If they're building a blockchain that's, you know, for which it's totally centralized on them and, and can never become decentralized, then I think that there's a lot more worry that it's, you know, losing an important part of what made mm-hmm. crypto great in the first place. And so, you know, I think it's inevitable that at the beginning, you know, there are going to be some people who are more excited about a product or a chain than, than others, and they're going to be playing a big role in its initial growth. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the big things that, that I think about then are, what's the plan and what's the play there? Are they building it to make it, you know, kind of their pet project that will always be tethered to them? Or are they growing it, you know, with an eye towards making it accessible towards everyone so that even if they are helping it and trying to to help it grow, they're not a necessary piece of that. And it runs totally well without them. And, and, you know, with the long-term goal of, of it growing beyond them. I think that's sort of the big question. Quick sponsor break. If you're looking for one of the easiest ways to get exposure to the fast-growing crypto space, Index Finance is your best bet. You can buy tokens such as DeFi5 or CC10 that represent basket of tokens and track the performance of entire market sectors. ETFs, as they are called in traditional finance, are popular because they require zero active portfolio management for holders and have historically outperformed most active investor portfolios. You can even buy their recently launched NFT index, for example, if you believe in the NFT space, or Degen, an index of smaller cap tokens with higher growth potential if you want to take a more risky bet. Check it out at index.finance. I'll post a link in the show notes. And since I hardly talk about Solana in this podcast, also because it's a young project. As I said, I'm, I'm actually curious in Solana and, and like it. Yeah. But yeah. Since I don't talk about it a lot, maybe do you want to run through why you like it? What gets you excited about Solana? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think that the core of Solana is basically thinking about how do you build a scalable decentralized blockchain? And, you know, how do you sort of maximize for that? And a lot of this gets pretty tricky because, you know, you run into some fundamental constraints. You run into constraints around the speed of light, among other things, where, mm-hmm. you know, you can't have a latency of less than 100 milliseconds, basically, no matter what you do, because that's how long it takes light to get around the world. And so it's not trivial to do this, you know, without any drawbacks or anything. And so what can you do? Well, one thing is, you know, moving from proof of work to proof of stake, which I think is pretty important because as long as you're using a proof of work protocol, the cost of transactions is 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 going to be scaling, you know, to, to meet the demand automatically. But I think the other thing is that you need to find some way to parallelize. If you're not able to parallelize, that really restricts how much throughput you can get on a blockchain, which really restricts its scalability. But you know, parallelizing isn't an easy thing to do for a blockchain because it has to be decentralized parallelization. And it opens up questions of like, well, what happens if two different you know, users on two different parts of the world at about the same time submit a transaction to the blockchain, you know, which happens and, and, and what if they conflict? What if you know, they're trying to move the same token to two different places? And so that's sort of one of the core questions here about scalability. And what some chains have done, including you know Polkadot, or at least what it's trying to do, and what what you know East Two is trying to do, is to scale through sharding, or or you know various variants on that, which basically means 
you know, instead of just having one blockchain, you, you have a bunch of blockchains and they're semi-independent, not totally independent, but semi-independent. And, you know, you make it slow and clunky to transfer between them, you know, no faster than sort of like the original blockchain was. Mm-hmm. But you can, people just end up split between a lot of these subchains, you know, whatever the each, you know, each different protocol calls them and thus not competing with each other on transactions. And, you know, the advantage is you can scale horizontally quite quickly like that. The disadvantage is that you sort of break composability between the different threads. It makes it really hard to, you know, transfer assets from one protocol on one chain, one subchain, sidechain, shard, whatever you want to call it, to another. And so I think there are pros and cons of it. It's a cool solution, but yeah, I, I think that, that it breaks some of the really fundamental benefits of DeFi. And one of the things to think about, I think, is like, first of all, if you have a single application, you probably can't have a single application split between different shards. That's a total mess. And so then you still have this limit on how big a single application can be of how big a single shard is. And, you know, you also can't really have a sub-ecosystem split between shards because it's moving, you know, between those is a pain. And so it's good for those, like, many different islands view, but not for the interacting components view. And so there are big costs to doing it. What Solana does instead is it basically has, you know, the sort of on-chain memory store. And people submit transactions. They put a lock on the, effectively, the memory cells that they want to edit. And that lock lasts as long as it takes for that transaction to kind of filter through the system. And so that allows you to scale horizontally by parallelizing, you know, and just having, having people claim only the territory that they actually need to claim for their program, which, which allows substantially more parallelization. And they also have a cute sort of time-based concept built in in order to resolve disputes, you know, of effectively who got there first, you know, basically by, by having sort of the different validators continuously running hashes of things on cores. And, you know, you can kind of see how far you've gotten in that chain to determine how early a transaction was submitted. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. Some of the disadvantages I've heard of Solana are the hardware requirements, right, that are a bit heavier. So if you want to run a node in this network, you need to buy some ex- yeah, more or less uh, expensive hardware, which... Yep. Um, and then another one is the dev tooling and EVM compatibility. So today, as you know, a lot of the blockchains that have tractions besides Ethereum are, you know, BSC, Polygon, XDAI. They are all EVM chains, which means that they share the same sort of engine and all the code that works on Ethereum also works on these chains out of the box. So you can set up a DAO, you can, you know, fork Uniswap, all these things just take minutes. And Solana is another blockchain with traction, but it falls into another category, namely it's it's not EVM compatible. So that means that like developers basically need to build a new ecosystem from scratch. Do you think this will be a problem? Like how, how far behind, if anything, the Solana ecosystem is in this regard? Yeah, totally. And you know, so on, on the validator side, it is it is more expensive. It's not, it doesn't cost a fortune, but you know, it costs more. And I think that one of the core philosophies of Ethereum was making it so that everyone, you know, on their on their watch, on their, you know, Raspberry Pi, on on, you know, whatever they have, can run a full node. And, you know, Solana's do the requirements, you know, it's like, you know, five hundred dollars or something like that mm-hmm. to run a node. And and so it's not it's not prohibitive for people who are excited about the ecosystem. 
but you know, it means you're not going to have a billion nodes running on it. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, you, you can get a fair number. I think it's pushing a thousand nodes right now on mainnet. I don't remember the, the most updated number, but you know, it's been growing fairly quickly. So you can, you can get a number, you know, but, but you can't get, you can't get everyone in the world running one. When it comes to the tooling, I think that's, that's a real, it is a real point. I mean, there's been a lot of tooling built out on Ethereum and it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't trivially translate over yeah. to Solana in the way that it does to other EVM chains, which means you have to rebuild everything. Mm-hmm. And it's not impossible to do. You know, people have been doing it and there's been a lot of work on that, but it takes some time and it takes effort and it takes good developers. And I think that that sort of gets at this interesting question of like, where is the future of DeFi going to come from to the extent that it's going to come from, you know, current DeFi developers and, and, and current users of DeFi, that certainly shifts towards Ethereum because that's, you know, they're, they're used to, to programming in the EVM. They're, they're used to, you know, in Solidity mm-hmm. and they're used to, to using it. To the extent it, it, you know, pulls from outside of that, that's going to shift towards other chains. You know, Solana is, you know, generally programmed using Rust, mm-hmm. which is, you know, one of the most popular languages globally, although, yeah. you know, less so in crypto. But yeah, it's, it's been a lot of work and, and, you know, a lot of work to build out decent wallets, to build out, you know, equivalents of Infura and, you know, build out sort of the, the basic core components of, of yeah. a finance. The, the flip side of this is, has given an opportunity to rethink them and to build some, some pretty cool stuff. And I, you know, I, I, I obviously think the Serum Dex is super cool. I think, you know, things like Radium that use it are super cool. And I think there's a lot of cool things coming out to, you know, Mango Markets, Oxygen, and, and others. And so I do think that it has given an opportunity to redesign things from the ground up, which, you know, frankly, I think is, is often a useful exercise to go yeah. through. Yeah, I'm actually beta testing the Phantom Wallet. So yep. yeah, I just got the invite today. I'm going to see how it is. And about the validated requirements, is there a solution, you know, on Ethereum, for example, if you're non-technical, you can get an Avado cloud, which is a little device where you can install a node through a graphical user interface and makes it basically super seamless. Does this exist for Solana? So, I mean, they give, they give directions on how to do it. I don't think there's like a pre-built out-of-the-box thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, you know, pages which explain what sorts of servers or people are using for this and and programs and things like that. I actually wish I knew more about that than I did. You can obviously also stake to the validators, and and you know most many of them do not charge very much of a fee for that. Delegated um, staking. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But you know you can also build your own validator and, and run that as well. And 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 this is you know a lot of this is open source. You know enough to do everything you need is open source. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think Solana and Ethereum can you know mutually benefit each other and? complement each other or do you think it's going to be one or the other? It's a good question. I don't think it's going to be totally one or the other. And I think that there are different uses for, for different things, but you know, I don't know what the answer is in terms of how much it's going to be one versus the other. And I could see it going in a lot of different directions there. I think, you know, one of the big questions, how big does DeFi get? How much throughput is needed? You know, long-term. And I think another big question is how do the scaling solutions for Ethereum look over time and how much do those solve its problem? Yeah. I always like to compare you know, crypto to the internet. And when you look at the internet, you know, there's just like one unified internet 
protocol. And it's hard to envision that in the crypto space, you'll have like all these different blockchains from a user experience perspective. It, it, it just doesn't really intuitively make sense, right? Because it will, unless this will be abstracted away to, you know, an incredible extent, it's, it's hard to imagine all these different blockchains coexisting and, and thriving next to each other. But then if you think about them as, you know, maybe payment networks, you know, today you have SIPA in Europe and ACH in the US and, and then like on a global level, you have SWIFT that combines them all. Maybe it's more useful to think about it in those terms. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't think it's obvious what the answer is going to be there. And, and I think probably people, you know, a bunch of people are probably a little bit overconfident about what the answer is going to be. You know, it could end up, I think, in a lot of different directions. But I wouldn't be surprised if there were some sort of diversity dynamics in some places and some winner-takes-all dynamics in some places. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of this is going to depend on how important interoperability is. And a lot of it is going to depend on how important composability between applications mm. are. And we'll have to see, but I do think that, that those are going to be pretty important. Like, I think that's the real thing. Yeah. And also, you know, what technological breakthroughs we achieve in the area of interoperability, you know, bridges. Yep. If, if we can make this super seamless, maybe it can be abstracted away and each chain can be used for certain use cases. Depends. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, totally agree. And are you still using Ethereum DeFi a lot? Because I know that you were involved in Sushi for quite a while. Is, is this still the case or have you you know, quit that project? You know, I'm, I'm still a supporter of it, but I haven't been working very actively on it. And obviously, you know, FTX has been supporting and let's say a number of projects. And so we've been involved, but I, I have not been actively working on, on, on much there. Okay, yeah. Let's talk about the FTT token. So it's a token of the FTX ecosystem, and it offers a lot of perks to, to users who hold it, like fee discounts, serum airdrops, which is you know the, the project that you mentioned before. Also, users who hold FTX get higher referral commissions. So when they invite a, a friend, they get a higher reward. And lastly, FTT is deflationary by design. So every time FTX earns revenue, it buys part of the FTT token and, and burns them. And this token has a market cap of $6 billion, whereas Coinbase trades at $58 billion. And as we have discussed, you're not too far behind Coinbase on a range of you know, financial metrics. Some investors see this as a trade opportunity. What would you say to them? I mean, you know, I certainly don't want to give financial advice. But in the end, a lot of what matters is what you're excited about and what you think has big upside. And, you know, I certainly am super excited about the, you know, the future of FTX. And I certainly think that, you know, there, there's a lot we're doing. There's a lot more we could do. And I think we have a lot of room to grow. You know, I've talked to a lot of people about this and, and you know, different people have different opinions on, you know, especially when you look at Coinbase's core demographic on how sticky that moat is. Some people think it's pretty weak. Some people think it's pretty sticky. And, you know, I also think that a lot of this depends on what your view is of the relative size of different areas of the market. But, you know, I'll certainly say that, like, I think I'm super excited about where FTX could grow to and, and has a real shot at, at growing to. And I think I'm, you know, 
excited about FTT for similar reasons. Uh, many people are yeah, excited about FTT. And the problem with these utility tokens is that, you know, unlike a share or equity, they don't have any legal rights. There's no, also, yep. yeah, you don't have a right to get a dividend or like a right in a company. It's, it's clearly a utility token. So some people are concerned that these issuers, you know, change the rules after the fact. So for example, Binance, they started promising certain things when they did the ICO and then now they've changed uh, certain parts of the white paper and changed the, the rules or the parameters of that BNB token. Um, what do you have to say to this? How, how would you reassure holders of exchange tokens? I think the single most important thing to us, you know, is our users and, and you know, is how our users feel about what we've built and, and how we've treated them. And I think that like, above all, our goal is to give them a great experience and, you know, anything that we would do there that would, you know, anything that would fuck over users, I think would just be really bad, really bad for FTX. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's clear. Do you have any long-term vision for these sort of loyalty tokens? Because I think sometimes I imagine a future where, you know, companies won't even go public anymore but they will, you know, by issuing equity or something, but just, you know, have these utility tokens that really lock users into the ecosystem and offer a range of perks. Do you think tokens like FTT could have more powerful features further down the line or is there not much to be done? Yeah, I mean, it depends on, you know, what features we end up building out, you know, for the platform. And I think that everything that we build out, we try and think about whether... There's a, a cool way to integrate FTT into it. You know, we've, we've been adding more and more sort of perks to it over time in terms of, you know, free withdrawals, in terms of, you know, getting, taking benefits. And I think that a lot of this is just us trying to take feedback from users on what are the things they're most excited about. Yeah. Uh, we're reaching the end. I would like to end the podcast with a uh, personal question. Do you see yourself work in the crypto space all your life or do you envision a career change at some point in life? I certainly don't see any any career changes coming up anytime soon. There's a ton of work left to do here. And yeah, a lot of room left to grow and a lot of room left for the ecosystem to grow and, and, and the products to grow. And so, you know, I, I don't see anything you know anywhere near on the horizon. Okay, that's good to know. And yeah, I agree. The space is quite captivating. It's it's hard to quit once you're in it. <laughs> well, thanks yep. so much, Sam. It was amazing to speak to you. And yeah, I hope to speak another time in a couple of months or years. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, it's me again. I hope you liked this episode. If you did, please feel free to share it with your friends and family or give us a follow on, on Twitter or LinkedIn. And if you have some feedback, reach out to me. I'd love to hear it. 